This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is recognizing weakness and finding strength in God. In the first half, we'll hear Bishop Gerald Cosset speak on For When I Am Weak, Then Am I Strong, from his 2013 BYU devotional address. Then in the second half, Dr. Gordon Lim talks about recognizing and responding to the promptings of the Spirit. Here's Bishop Cosset. My dear brothers and sisters, it's a joy and a blessing to address you this morning. You are such a remarkable generation in the history of gospel dispensations. Recently, I participated in a dinner honoring the ambassador of a European nation. He had just finished a full day of visiting church sites in Utah. I asked him what had impressed him the most. His face suddenly changed, and he responded with a voice charged with emotion. What touched me most was the visit of the BYU campus and the missionary training center. What beautiful youth you have. Last year, when the Lord decided to hasten His work, it was to the youth of the Church that He made the call. Following the announcement by President Thomas S. Monson that the ages for serving missions had been lowered, a wonderful wave of enthusiasm came across the Church. Tens of thousands of your generation are responding to the call of the prophet. Perhaps the change in mission age was a surprise for many people, especially those outside of the Church. Some probably wondered, why would the Church put so much responsibility in the hands of inexperienced young people who are barely out of high school? I remember asking the following question of several mission presidents. Rather than young volunteers of 18 or 19 years of age, if we offered to send you professional missionaries who were older and had great command of the scriptures, missionary lessons, missionary methods, and language of the country, would you take them? They all answered without hesitation, No, thank you. We love our young missionaries. What is so beautiful and powerful in having a missionary force essentially composed of young men and young women without much experience? The scriptures are filled with stories of young and modest people who, having a great faith and being magnified by the power of God, accomplish exceptional things. Among them were Enoch, who considered himself to be a lad who was slow of speech. Joseph Smith, who described himself as an obscure boy and of no consequence in the world, and the Virgin Mary, who marveled that she had been chosen to become the Lord's mother, saying, My soul doth magnify the Lord, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. These great young people had pure and humble hearts, yet the Lord made them powerful in words and deeds to accomplish his designs. The scripture was fulfilled that said, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. My brothers and sisters, this scripture is now truer than ever before. I often think of the enormous challenges facing your generation. You are living in an often hostile world 
at a time when great personal strength must be used to maintain righteousness and succeed in one's personal goals. Perhaps you feel too weak to overcome such challenges. Perhaps you fear that you are not up to it. There is no shame in that. Everyone experiences those feelings at one time or another. I assure you the Lord has the power to transform your weaknesses into strength. The promise made by the Lord to the Apostle Paul is valid for each of you. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And later Paul added, For when I am weak, then am I strong. This promise, though a paradox, is very real. Allow me to describe a few principles that I believe can help you receive strength to overcome the challenges of life. First principle, build on your strength. When you look in the mirror each morning, what do you see? We are such a blend of multiple and diverse talents, traits, and attributes. All of us have abilities, strengths, weaknesses, and inadequacies. However, getting an objective and accurate evaluation of our own selves is difficult. While some take an indulgent and embellished look at themselves, there will be others who focus on their weaknesses and doubt their own abilities. One of the most comforting teachings of the gospel is that each son and daughter of God, every one of us, is born with an inheritance of gifts, talents, and abilities that can help us through our healthy mission. The scripture says, For there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. We cannot be happy and successful in life without gratefully acknowledging those gifts and doing all we can to develop them. Our problem is never that we have no strength. The problem comes when we do not recognize our strengths and build upon them. A couple of years ago, I saw a film about King George VI, who led the United Kingdom through the dark hours of World War II. When he was forced to take the throne after his brother's abdication, he doubted his ability to become the powerful leader the country needed in the face of war. George didn't have the charisma of his predecessors. He also had a disabling speech impediment, and his most dreaded fear was that he would have to speak to the nation in an effort to galvanize them toward victory. One scene depicts George watching television as, as Hitler stirred up the, his nation to engage in war. Hitler's ferocious rhetoric and proclaimed invincibility contrasted with George's humility and apparent vulnerability. However, George refused to let his weakness overwhelm him. Instead, he used his God-given gifts of dignity, courage, and perseverance to overcome his disability through long and exhausting therapy. He eventually addressed the nation in a powerful speech and became the right man at the right place to lead his people to victory. Like George VI, all of you have received remarkable abilities and strengths 
from the Lord, on which you can build to overcome your weaknesses and bless the lives of others. With a humble and honest heart, seek to identify, develop, and apply for good those gifts that the Lord has given you. Second principle, recognize your personal limitations. In order to become strong in the Lord, we need to recognize our personal limitations. For some, one of the life's greater challenges is accepting their own limits. Because of pride, they prefer to see themselves as bigger, stronger, and more capable than they really are. They want to create this illusion both to impress others and especially themselves. I would like to share an experience from my youth. When I was 15, I noticed that my vision was getting progressively worse. At the time, for a reason that I have a hard time understanding now, I didn't want to recognize nor accept it. I hid the truth from my relatives, my teachers also, and my life began to get more and more difficult. Being unable to read the chalkboard, I had uh, to copy over the shoulders of my classmates. When on the street, I was no longer able to read signs and traffic signals, which caused me to take the wrong bus many times and get lost. Several months passed before a medical checkup in high school liberated me from my secret. I had to resign myself to wearing a magnificent pair of glasses, as you can see, <laughs> which to my great surprise made life much more practical and enjoyable than I had imagined. One reason we may not want to acknowledge our personal limitations is that weakness is perceived by society as a fault or a failure. The world values the cult of the invincible. Superheroes from Batman to Superman abound in our media. This ideology leads to dangerous behavior. We see people who want to hide their problems under the appearance of strength through boasting, aggressiveness, and abusive behaviors. Some are so obsessed to outperform others that they turn to drugs or other stimulants in order to do so. Still others lose themselves in egotism and self-admiration. These forms of pride lead to disappointment, ineffectiveness, or worse. God is not the God of superheroes, nor of people without weaknesses. Such beings do not exist. He helps people like you and me, those who recognize their limits and their weaknesses, and seek his help and guidance. Failing to recognize our limitations will block our progression. On the other hand, accepting them humbly lays the foundation for eternal progression. Recently, I had the opportunity to interview Gail Yone. Gail is a former BYU student from France. At the age of 31, while he was in the final year of his medical school, he participated in a snowboard competition at Snowbird. It turned out to be very tragic for him. He missed his second jump and crashed from a height of 40 feet onto the icy snow below. When he regained consciousness, he realized that he had lost feelings of, uh, in his lower limbs. After four years of medical studies, Gail understood what pain in his stomach and numbness under his belly button meant. He was indeed paralyzed. 
Gail said that on the day following the accident, he awoke with feelings of intense distress. He thought to himself, there are many simple things in life, such as going to the bathroom, that I can no longer do on my own. If that is how I am going to have to live, maybe it's better for me to die. Shortly thereafter, he met another patient at the hospital who was a quadriplegic. That patient confided in him, I would so much like to have arms like yours. This was a key moment for Gail. If someone could be envious of what he had, he should be grateful to still have it. Gail testifies, we all want something more. I believe that is human nature. But I discovered that the key to happiness is to accept ourselves as we are, to be content and to live with what we have. I miss my legs terribly. But in the end, I don't have any other choice but to move forward and try to be happy without them. During the time he was at the hospital, he learned more about pain and about caring for patients than he could have learned in several years of medical school. Gail decided to specialize in rehabilitative medicine. Today, he's a renowned doctor who works with patients suffering from spinal injuries, amputations, strokes, and seizures, and multiple sclerosis. His patients praise his empathy and his ability to understand their problems. For Gail, the acceptance of his limitations was the starting point for his own exceptional progress. Now the third principle, rely on the Lord. In the northern provinces of Canada, there is a, an old fable or a version of this old fable about two geese and a tortoise. They had a strong friendship. The story goes something like this. When fall arrived, the geese planned to migrate south for the winter. One evening, the geese worried about the situation of their friend, the tortoise. It is too bad that you can't fly, said one of the geese. You will certainly miss us. How will you survive? I have an idea, responded the tortoise. Why not find a good stick that you can hold in your beaks? I will hold on to it with my teeth. Thus, when you fly south, I will fly with you. Do you think you are strong enough to hold on for such a long time as the other goose? Certainly, I am very strong, said the tortoise. A few days later, somewhere over Montana, a farmer raised his eyes and saw something unbelievable. Two geese flying over his head with a stick in their beaks and a tortoise holding onto the stick. He cried out, that's incredible. Who has such a great idea? Knowing that it was his idea, the tortoise couldn't resist and cried out, it was I. And the tortoise fell. <laughs> this story illustrates how pride leads its victims to their fall. It whispers to them, you can't get there all alone. You just need a little intelligence and strength. This reasoning may work in certain aspects of our life. However, it is of no value in accomplishing the core purpose of our existence. Are our personal abilities, intelligence, and work sufficient to enable us to fulfill the measure of our creation? 
Can we, by our own efforts, raise ourselves to the level of perfection required to return to the presence of God? Certainly not. True wisdom includes recognizing our dependence on our Creator and His Son, Jesus Christ, to reach our full potential. Whatever our personal capabilities, we know that no flesh can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Where pride says, I am the one who did it, wisdom prefers to recognize God empowered me to be able to do it. After the remarkable success on his mission among the Lamanites, Ammon humbly recognized the hand of the Lord in these terms. Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land, for which we will praise his name forever. Recognizing our personal limitations doesn't mean that we should put ourselves down and wallow in our weaknesses. Accepting our limitations is not an excuse to limit ourselves. On the contrary, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we aspire to that which is better and more elevated. The goal of our existence is to be raised to a level of perfection that will allow us to return to live in the presence of our Heavenly Father. We firmly believe that each son and each daughter of God possesses in himself or herself the potential to inherit all that God has and to become such as he is. But no one can reach this ultimate goal by relying, relying solely on the arm of flesh. If we rely on our personal abilities, our progress is and always will remain limited. However, when we move forward in the strength of the Lord, our potential for progress knows no bounds. Another important point to remember is that we usually experience our greatest growth when we face difficult, if not impossible, situations. The acute awareness that we have of our own limitations pushes us to humbly seek the help of our Creator. An example of this is found in the Old Testament, when Gideon, head of the Israelites' armies, prepared to fight the Midianites with 32,000 men. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vound themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. So step by step, the Lord asked Gideon to reduce the number of his soldiers until only 300 remained. It is when he became impossible for Gideon to conquer the Midianites with his own strength, that the Lord sent him to battle and miraculously delivered the enemy into his hands. My brothers and sisters, you probably have had this type of experience yourselves. The Lord often places his servants in situations with seemingly insurmountable obstacles. In this manner, he pushes us to humble ourselves and to rely solely on his strength. 
he makes us instruments of his miracles and the manifestations of his power and compassion. That is perhaps the reason why missionary work is performed by missionaries who are, the, for the most part, young and inexperienced. It is also perhaps the reason why so many members receive callings and responsibilities that often appear to them to be beyond their strengths and abilities. I had this type of experience a little while ago, actually over five years ago, when I was called as a general authority of the church. At that time, my family and I lived in France. Life had smiled on us, and we thought that we had received all the blessings we could possibly wish for, both within our family and materially. One evening, completely unexpectedly, President Thomas S. Monson called our home. I can still remember the sound of his voice as he said, Brother Cosset, you have been called to serve as a 70 until you turn 70. Well, we valiantly accepted the call with faith and determination. But in that few minutes, our lives had been totally turned upside down. My call meant that we were going to leave our home country and live the next 26 years wherever the Lord wanted us to serve. Additionally, I had only a few days to resign from my professional responsibilities if I was to be ready to serve in the time frame requested by the prophet. The next morning, I woke up early to get ready for work. I remember sitting at the kitchen table eating breakfast. Suddenly, I felt completely petrified, even paralyzed. The idea of announcing to the president of my company that I was leaving his employment seeming, seemed insurmountable to me. I felt tied to him by great loyalty. Everything was moving too fast, too unexpectedly. Overcome, I began to pray fervently, asking the Lord for the strength to do whatever he wanted me to do. When I reopened my eyes, I saw an issue of the Liahona lying on the table. It was the October 2007 General Conference edition. Opening it at random, I fell on an article whose title caught my attention. In English, live by faith and not by fear. I said to myself, that's exactly what I need. It was a talk by Elder Quinin L. Cook in which he told the story of his calling as a general authority. He explained that he was not feeling up to the calling and had asked for counsel from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. Elder Maxwell explained that the most important qualification for serving in the kingdom was to be able to bear testimony of the divinity of the Savior. Elder Cook then quoted the promise that the Lord made to his servants in the Doctrine and Covenants, which says, Wherefore, be of good cheer, and do not fear, for I the Lord am with you, and will stand by you, and you shall bear record of me, even Jesus Christ. In reading this scripture, I experienced a complete change. I knew what I had to do. My responsibility was to bear testimony of the Savior. The Lord would take care of the rest. Thus, I left for work with a reassured heart. The interview with my employer went beyond my hopes. I was able to testify very simply of my love for the Savior and of my desire to serve Him. At that moment, the Spirit entered the office where we were meeting. 
touched by my words, the president assured me of his understanding, his respect, and his support. He later sent a letter to all the managers of my company, asking them to do the same. Is there any more beautiful experience than to feel the influence of the Lord working in our lives, to know that He is there close by, to feel that He magnifies and enhances our natural abilities, thereby making us tools in His hands? I firmly believe that there is much more joy and satisfaction in saying, It is the Lord who did it through me, rather than saying, I did it all by myself. Fourth principle, qualify yourselves to receive the grace of the Savior. The power that allows us to raise ourselves above our mortal condition and our human abilities is called the grace of the Savior. As Elder Neil L. Anderson said, grace is spiritual knowledge and power that changes how someone sees himself, increases his capacities, and magnifies his ability to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. Close quote. Grace is one of the gifts of God made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself spoke to Moroni in these terms. And I, if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. I testify that this power of grace is of divine origin and is real and tangible. Each one of us can access it on condition of receiving the ordinances of the gospel. As is said in the sacrament prayer, one of the promises made to all those who persevere in respecting these ordinances is that they may always have his spirit to be with them. The spirit of the Lord, or the Holy Ghost, is the agent of the atonement. Thanks to his gentle influence, we can feel the love of the Savior and receive his grace in our lives. When the Spirit accompanies us, we become aware of a powerful transformation taking place within us as our weaknesses are transformed into strength and our natural abilities are magnified and enhanced beyond even what we believe is possible. The Spirit sanctifies us and progressively raises us beyond our mortal condition. My young brothers and sisters, I express my love for you and my deep admiration for the example and strength you are for the entire Church. Each of you has been endowed with a remarkable set of gifts, talents, and abilities. As you build upon these strengths, humbly recognize your personal limitations. Remain faithful to your covenants and put your confidence in the Lord. You will see your weaknesses transformed into strengths through the power and grace of His Atonement. You will have the ability to meet the challenges you will face in your life. With Paul, you will be able to say, For when I am weak, then am I strong. Of these things I testify humbly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. 
Our theme today is recognizing weakness and finding strength in God. We've just heard from Bishop Gerald Cosset. After the break, we'll return for Dr. Gordon Lim on recognizing and responding to the promptings of the Spirit. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is recognizing weakness and finding strength in God. Next is Dr. Gordon Lim, Director of the School of Social Work in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences at BYU, speaking on recognizing and responding to the promptings of the Spirit. In the social work main office of the Joseph F. Smith Building, there is a disability access door that has a self-charging mechanism to open and close the door. We've had this mechanism on the door for over two years. My office is located next to that door, so I am very aware every time the door opens and closes. However, it was only very recently, while I was sitting at my desk in a quiet, thoughtful moment, that the door opened and as it closed, I heard a unique melodic sound. I was so taken aback that I got up from my desk, walked out of my office, opened the door, and listened again to the melodic tone as it closed. I asked myself the question, why hadn't I heard that melody before? Was that the first time that the melodic sound occurred? My guess is that it's been making that sound since it was first installed. Yet it took me over two years to recognize and respond to that small, soft, melodic sound. It wasn't until I was in tune with the sound that I actually heard it. Brothers and sisters, in my work at BYU and in my service within the church, I've been blessed to spend much of that time working with youth and young adults. As important topics and decisions come up during what Elder Robert D. Hales calls the decade of decision, I often hear questions such as, how can I recognize and respond to the promptings of the Spirit? And more specifically, how can I tell the difference between my emotions telling me what I want to hear and the Holy Ghost telling me what I need to hear? In fact, Elder David A. Bednar, while he was president of BYU-Idaho, stated that this last question was the question that was most frequently asked by the students with whom he met. He said, quote, During the entire time we have been holding family home evenings with students, I cannot remember a single time when some version of this question was not asked. End quote. I'm guessing many of you, like me, have asked this question. How can we tell if we are receiving inspiration from the Spirit or if we are getting a message from our own emotions from an evil source or if we are receiving any spiritual prompting at all? While I don't have a complete and easy answer to these questions, I would like to discuss with you some of the things I have learned about recognizing and responding to the promptings of the Spirit. I pray for and invite the Holy Ghost to be with each of us today as we discuss this most important topic. Let's begin by discussing how the Lord communicates with us. When we communicate with Heavenly Father, we do so through prayer. When He speaks to us, He does it through revelation. This two-way divine communication is critical to our understanding of the process of receiving personal revelation. Let's look at this process in action. In section 6 and 8 of the Doctrine and Covenants, we learn through revelation given to Oliver Cowdery some important concepts in this two-way divine communication. In section 6, verse 15, the Lord said, 
Thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind, that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the spirit of truth." End quote. Then in verse 23, the Lord said, quote, Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? End quote. Here we see that after Oliver inquired of the Lord through prayer, that his mind was enlightened by the Spirit, and he was given a feeling of calmness or peace. In section 8, verse 2, the Lord states, quote, Behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell with you, end quote. Elder Richard G. Scott notes that when we receive an impression in our heart, we can use our mind to either rationalize it away or to accomplish it. Together, the, the verses in these two sections teach us that when Heavenly Father speaks to us through the Spirit in its most familiar form, it most often comes to us through our thoughts and feelings. As Elder Packer notes, quote, that sweet, quiet voice of inspiration comes more as a feeling than it does as a sound. The Holy Ghost communicates with our spirits through the mind more than through our physical senses. This guidance comes as thoughts, as feelings, through promptings and impressions. We may feel the words of spiritual communication more than we hear them and see with our spirit, spiritual rather than with our mortal eyes." End quote. Therefore, it should be, shouldn't be difficult for us to understand why we are counseled by our church leaders to avoid anything that negatively impacts our ability to receive promptings through our thoughts and feelings. In the field of social work, we often work with people who are struggling with addictions, including pornography and other addictive substances and behaviors. These types of addictions negatively impact our ability to recognize and respond to the promptings of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, what are the influences in your life and mine that negatively impact our ability to fill the Spirit? And what are the ways we can better understand the Lord's pattern of communicating with us? All too often, we, make, we sometimes make assump faulty assumptions and have erroneous expectations regarding recognizing the Spirit. Let me share with you what Elder Bednar had to say about this. Quote, let me suggest that many of us typically assume we will receive an answer or a prompting to our earnest prayers and pleadings. And we also frequently expect that such an answer or a prompting will come immediately and all at once. Thus, we tend to believe the Lord will give us a big answer quickly and all at one time. However, the pattern repeatedly described in the scriptures suggests we receive line upon line, precept upon precept, or in other words, many small answers over a period of time. Recognizing and understanding this pattern is an important key to obtaining inspiration and help from the Holy Ghost." End quote. Elder Bednar then went on to state, Sister Bednar and I frequently visit with youth who wonder about career choices and how to properly select a school at which to study and receive additional education. Many times a young person is perplexed, having felt as though the answer about a career or a school was, was, was received at one particular point in time, only to feel that a different and perhaps conflicting answer was received at another point in time. The question then is often asked, why did the Lord give me two different answers? 
In like manner, a student may sincerely seek to know if the person he or she has been dating is the one. A feeling of yes at one time may appear to be contradicted by a different feeling of no at another time. May I simply suggest that what we initially believe is the answer may be but one part of a line upon line, precept upon precept, ongoing incremental and unfolding pattern of small answers. It is clearly the case that the Lord did not change His mind. Rather, you and I must learn to better recognize the Lord's pattern as a series of related and expanding answers to our most important questions." End quote. Let me share with you two personal examples that illustrate Elder Bednar's points. Back in 2000, I was getting ready to graduate with my doctorate and interviewing for my first faculty position. I found what I thought was the perfect job a good school fairly close to home, a creative joint faculty position within the school, and a very prominent company that does great work with American Indian children and families, my specialty. My meeting with the company went great. They were on board and I thought this appointment would lead to all kinds of research opportunities and funding. This job, in my mind, was made for me. I prayed, felt good about it, and was moving forward. Then, during my faculty visit to the school, things went from bad to worse. My presentation didn't go well. The faculty members didn't seem to like me. And there was just something that was not right. Well, I didn't get the offer. So why is it that after praying and feeling good about this job, things didn't work out? That was a question my wife and I were asking ourselves. When this job didn't work out, the other opportunity I had was to go to Washington University in St. Louis, the top school of social work program in the country, which obviously is a good thing. But their offer was to be the assistant director of the Catherine M. Booter Center for American Indian Studies and a lecturer in the School of Social Work. Although this was a great opportunity, it was not a tenure-track position, something I definitely wanted. So we prayed again, moved forward, and took the job. What a blessing that turned out to be. I got to spend three years working with Eddie Brown, the director of the Booter Center and former Assistant Secretary of Interior in charge of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, an appointment our own Larry Echohawk later filled. Eddie Brown is probably the most influential American Indian social worker in the country. And during those three years, we were able to travel throughout the country working with Indian tribes and tribal organizations. Those three years provided me with the foundation I needed in order to be where I am at today. As a side note, I later found out that the first position, shortly after 9-11, when the economy took a nosedive, was canceled due to the lack of funding from the company for the joint appointment. While it would have started out as a great job, it would have been short-lived. Here is the lesson I learned in recognizing and responding to the promptings of the Spirit. Sometimes what we perceive to be a positive answer followed by a negative outcome is later followed by a new, unsuspecting, better answer or opportunity if we will but trust in the Lord and keep moving forward. The Lord knew what I did not. That first experience prepared me to listen closer to the Spirit the next time, to have an increased level of gratitude for how the Lord works in our lives and to remember that all things work together for good in the Lord's time frame to them that love God. So in summary, sometimes the right choices or blessings come through promptings 
that are often not recognized until after they are acted upon and in the Lord's time. Example number two, my wife Erica and I dated for nearly a year before we were married. I don't ever recall receiving a one-time spiritual confirmation that she was the one. However, the more we interacted, the more we talked, and the more we learned about each other in different situations, I received many small, simple, and quiet promptings that she was a special, talented, spiritual woman. Together, all of these simple answers over a period of time helped me to receive an appropriate spiritual confirmation that I should ask her to marry me. That confirmation did not come all at once during a single heartfelt prayer of desperation. Rather, it came more in a line-upon-line, precept-upon-precept manner. Here is another key regarding finding a spouse. Elder Oak states that, quote, If a revelation is outside the limits of, of stewardship, you know it is not from the Lord, and you are not bound by it. I have heard of cases where a young man told a young woman she should marry him because he had received a revelation that she was to be his eternal companion. If this is a true revelation, it will be confirmed directly, directly to the woman if she seeks to know. In the meantime, she is under no obligation to heed it. The man can receive revelation to guide his own actions, but he cannot properly receive revelation to direct hers. She is outside his stewardship." End quote. So just because I received a witness to marry my wife was not enough. She also had to receive her witness independently. I think it took her a little longer to know whether she wanted to spend the rest of eternity with this guy who was pretty average. Now, yours and others' experiences with important decisions may be different. We all know that big answers do come, and sometimes all at once. But those are more the exception than the rule. For our family, the story of the lost binoculars and how our daughter McKenna prayed and knew almost instantly where to find them has become legendary and is used as an example of a big answer to a single prayer. However, we should not feel spiritually inadequate or unqualified if we do not receive a big and immediate answer to a request or a plea for, the help, for help the first time we ask. As we think about things we can do to increase our capacity to follow the Spirit, may I suggest a few ways I have found to better re receive and respond to the promptings of the Spirit. First, living worthily invites the constant companionship of the Spirit. If you are not now worthy, repent and become worthy. For those who are endowed, go to the temple, the Lord's classroom, and keep your covenants. I've heard students ask, how can I tell if this is the spirit I'm feeling? If you are living worthily, Paul's letter to the Galatians tells us that the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are all examples of what we feel when the spirit is present. In striving to live worthily, I am also encouraged by the gifts of the Spirit discussion in section 46 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It states in verse 9 that, quote, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, end quote. Well, I love the Lord, but I don't keep, don't always keep all of the commandments. The last part of this verse then adds an additional element of hope, quote, 
and him that seeketh so to do. I am thankful that as I make mistakes, as I neglect to heed promptings, but as I seeketh so to do, a loving Father in heaven and Savior are always there to help me get back on course if I will but keep repenting and keep trying. One night recently, my seven-year-old son was having a hard time and misbehaving, so I sent him to bed a little early. My two boys share the same room, and I usually read to them before bed. That night, as I went down to read to them, I was in a hurry to finish a talk I had coming up in my church assignment, as well as being a little frustrated with my son's behavior. So I hurriedly read to them, and before leaving, gave my son one more short lecture on proper behavior. During that time, I felt something, a feeling that I should stop and give him a hug and tell him that I loved him. But in my haste and frustration, I ignored the prompting, finished reading, and hurriedly went back upstairs to finish my talk. That was a missed opportunity I regret. Thankfully for me, Heavenly Father is patient, perfectly patient, and was patient with me on that occasion. The next morning, as I was lying in bed, getting ready to get up and start the day, I felt that same prompting, give your son a hug and tell him that you love him. This time I followed the prompting. When he awoke, I called to him and asked if he could come to my room. When he did, I asked him to sit down on my bed. He did so and looked at me and asked, what? Like he was expecting to get another lecture like the night before. I said, Hayden, I sure love you and I'm grateful that you are my son. I then gave him a big hug and he got up and left, and a few minutes later, I could hear him, I could hear my son in his happy element making siren sounds while playing Legos. It was nothing spectacular, but it was a tender mercy that I am thankful for a second prompting of the Spirit to do what I should have done the night before. Second, sincere prayer invites the constant companionship of the Spirit. President Hinckley observed, quote, the trouble with most of our prayers is that we get, give them as if we were picking up the telephone and ordering groceries. We place our order and hang up. We need to meditate, contemplate, think of what we are praying about and for, and then speak to the Lord as one man speaketh to another." End quote. Another key element in sincere prayer is gratitude. When was the last time you said a prayer and only expressed gratitude? In learning to recognize answers to prayer, Elder Scott said, quote, I have saved the most important part about prayer until the end. It is gratitude. Our sincere efforts to thank our beloved Father generate wondrous feelings of peace, self-worth, and love. No matter how challenging our circumstances, honest appreciation fills our mind to overflowing with gratitude, end quote. Obviously, there are times we need to ask for help and guidance, but I know I can spend more time in my prayers giving thanks. Third, immersing ourselves in the scriptures invites the constant companionship of the Spirit. Studying the scriptures trains us to hear the Lord's voice and recognize His Spirit. Scriptural immersion provides us with a unique insight into how others received and responded to the promptings of the Spirit. Elder Bednar gave a great CES fireside talk entitled, A Reservoir of Living Water, that I highly encourage you to read or reread, where he talks about feasting on the Word by searching the scriptures for connections, patterns, and themes. In our church callings, we have a handbook of instructions that tell us how to fulfill our callings. 
In living the gospel, our handbooks of instruction are the scriptures and the revealed word of God through his prophets. Fourth, service invites the constant companionship of the Spirit. Do you realize that as others are seeking the Spirit to receive answers to their prayers, often the Lord uses us to answer that prayer? We had a Relief Society president in my ward who would often pray and ask, Father, help me to be an answer to someone else's prayer today. Then as she was going to work or coming home, she would drive around the ward enlisting the Spirit's prompting to determine if there was a sister that needed her help. Numerous times as she was driving by a sister's home or thinking of a particular sister, the Spirit would prompt her to stop by, bring dinner, or ask to watch the sister's children. That Relief Society president knew what it meant to follow the promptings of the Spirit and be an answer to someone else's prayer. That is Christ-like service. Finally, taking time to pause, ponder, and listen invites the constant companionship of the Spirit. In our fast-paced, immediate gratification world, we can become so preoccupied with good things that we neglect the most important things. I have found that early in the morning, when things are quiet and my mind is focused, I am most receptive to the promptings of the Spirit. There is a famous social science experiment where participants are asked to watch a video of players in white and black passing a basketball and count the number of passes the white team makes. However, during the middle of the experiment, as participants are counting the passes, a person in a gorilla suit walks between the players and out the other side. I think many of our psychology students have seen this. At the end, the narrator asks how many passes the white team made. The narrator then asks, but did you see the gorilla? This experiment has been done on a number of occasions, and typically about half of the participants are so focused on counting the number of passes that they do not see the obvious gorilla walking through the players. I have to admit, the first time I saw the video, I did not see the gorilla either. Brothers and sisters, are we so focused, so busy, that we neglect the promptings of the Spirit, even when those promptings appear right in front of us like the gorilla? Or when the promptings do come, can we tell the difference between the, the Spirit's promptings and our own emotions? There is a line from the musical, Joseph and the T Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, after Joseph has been sold into Egypt and put in, in prison. As he is feeling down and hopeless, the narrator sings, quote, Hang on now, Joseph, you'll make it someday. Don't give up, Joseph, fight till you drop. We've read the book, and you come out on top, end quote. Similar, similarly, our Father in Heaven has a plan for us, a perfect plan of happiness. And I testify that as we learn to better recognize and respond to the promptings of the Spirit, we will find answers to our prayers and have increased capacity to know how and whether those promptings are from the Holy Ghost, especially during this decade of decision for many of you. Just like the door leading into the social work office, I further testify that as we learn and understand the Lord's pattern for communicating with us, that those small, melodic tones of the Spirit will, quote, lead us back into His sight where we may stay to share eternal life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every day for an hour of inspiration and recentering. Today's theme was recognizing weakness and finding strength in God, with thoughts from Bishop Gerald Cosset and Dr. Gordon Lim. 
Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.